morning, folks. How is everybody today? Excellent. So thank you again for graciously inviting us back to, I don't know if many of you had a decision in that, but thank you for having us. Um, we really enjoy visiting you and, and sharing in the Word of God. I um, would just like to thank the Lord for giving me this opportunity to preach from this passage. This is a, an exceptional passage simply because it explains the Gospel message. And as, we, as MacDonald was teaching and as what we've been reading today and the songs, everything just works so closely together to the centrality which is the Gospel. And the message for me obviously is very close to my heart and should be close to each and every one of our own hearts because this is a message that saves. There's nothing else that saves other than the name of Jesus Christ. And so, I'd firstly like to say thank you to the Lord again for, for giving me this opportunity. And then, I had a friend that passed away this week in his sleep, um, a very close friend of mine. I'd like to also just thank the Lord for saving him. He went through a period which was quite testing for him, and towards the end of his life, he gave his life to the Lord. And I just wanted to say thank the Lord for that, because it's the Gospel again that saves him. Even though he was 34 years old, we praise the Lord that he is with him. In our home groups, we've been covering a book which is a foundational book. It teaches us the foundations of the faith, the fundamentals of the faith. And so, we were looking at the four different baptisms. And many of you are thinking, what is he talking about? There's four baptisms. Yes, there are, but we can cover that at at another stage. But in this was one of the passages covered 1 Corinthians 15. And seeing as though many of you do not know it, I will be back here a few more times to preach and teach from the Bible. So I've decided by what the Lord had on my heart to do this whole passage through the next, um, I think, five or six visits that I'll have you in the next six or eight weeks. It helps us just be based and grounded in the Scripture. And I know that you're having different preachers coming and teaching, but I think it's important that we go through one passage together. So just before I get started, I'd like to just pray and uh, ask the Lord to guide us through this. Father, we just thank you so much for the Gospel. We thank you for the message that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He is Saviour. And we pray that this morning, Lord, each and every one of our hearts are open to understand the truth that is in the Scriptures, and the truth that is Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you please give me the wisdom to say what you want me to say, Lord, and that it falls on open hearts and minds. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Right, so we go back to Genesis chapter 3. We look at Genesis 3 and uh, many of you that know the scriptures know that that's where the fall happened or the rebellion happened. God gave Adam and Eve the whole God and the whole world to sort of look after, to nurture, to care for. And what happened is God gave them one command. Now the amazing thing is that even someone that does not believe in the Lord knows this command, that they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's very important. Because people tend to only look at the good side of things. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good. And I've even heard, um, what was his name, a guy by the name of Carl Sagan, who was an out-and-out atheist. And he said, why would a loving God, why would a God that has given us everything not want us to know and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good? But he tends to forget the second portion of the text. And the text says that we, God did not want us to know what was evil. And that was the most important thing. 
Eve was tempted by Satan into eating from this tree. And I'll just look at Genesis 3, 13 to 15. I'm just going to read that to lay a foundation for us. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. The serpent tempted Eve. He tricked her. He made her believe that she can become greater than God. And sort of we can see that also in society today. And has been since the foundations of the world. Verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Then the, God, then the Father says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. In other words, I will put hostility between you and the woman. For that disobedience, let alone the disobedience that Adam and Eve had, but also that Satan had in trying to trick Adam and Eve, God was going to put enmity, hostility between thee and the woman. What I find amazing here is that the Lord says, and between thy seed and her seed. Now I know I have covered this likely here before, but thy seed, not that Satan has seed, but everyone that chooses Satan over God the Father, or over God Elohim, plural trinity, as the song we, we shared earlier, or, or sang together earlier, that is, the, that is his seed, and her seed will be a seed that is the seed that saves the world. <coughs> through the lines of Abraham, through all those, well from Adam, actually through Noah, through Abraham, right through David, all the way to Jesus Christ, that is the seed that God is talking about here. That seed shall bruise thy head. In other words, Jesus Christ will have an eternal, fatal wound inflicted on Satan. And he will perish and be thrown into the lake of fire, as we know in Revelation chapter... 20 around there um, and thou shalt bruise his heel so Satan will bruise Jesus' heel as Jesus stomps and he gets his final victory and that bruising was the cross that bruising was that Jesus would have to go to the cross because of this disobedience now what happens is we look at the prophecies we look at the Hebrews how they were saved out of Egypt remember the doorposts had blood painted on the doorposts and that was the Passover. That was the Passover that was instituted as a shadow to the one and final Passover that Jesus Christ would be. And as you look at um, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, I can go through all the prophets. Within these prophecies that were given, there was always a f a looking to the future of a deliverer, of a Messiah, of the Anointed One. And you can see that by when Jesus was born, he was taken to the temple and there were two elderly people waiting there for him. The one lady's name was Anna. I don't know if you folks remember that story. The other one was Simeon. These two people knew the scriptures intricately. They knew that a Messiah was going to come at that time. Because why? They trusted the prophecies of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9 we see that Daniel says in 9.27 that the Messiah, or 9.24 rather, that the Messiah will be cut off. Now this prophecy was given 500 odd years before Jesus, yet to the day when Jesus rode in on the donkey to Jerusalem, it has been worked out that they would have known exactly that prophecy, that fulfillment date. And that's why everyone was throwing palms down and celebrating, because they knew that this was the Messiah. Yet, for Israel, when, they did not, when God did not deliver Israel through Jesus, politically they thought he wasn't the Messiah. But the scriptures testify to something different. And today we're going to be looking at the gospel message. So, Jesus, as we know, had to be born of a virgin. Otherwise, he would have been a sinner. 
or he would have been born into sin. Now Kelly and I were busy going through this last night and the whole week, just trying to understand this concept, because many people do not understand the concept. But what we have to understand is that Jesus was born 100% man and 100% God. He's not 50-50, because otherwise he'd be a sinner. And so, it's, it is known as the hypostatic union, where 100% man would be so that Jesus could represent you and I on the cross. That is why Jesus had to be born as a man. 100% uh, God, because God is sinless. God is holy, God is just, God is righteous. And therefore, He had to be both of those in one person. You had many false doctrines coming out of even the first century where they made us believe that God was half human, that He was... Um, that your body was, that meant nothing and everything else that was in your spirit meant that it was higher and better than what was your body. But if we look at Paul writing in this exact same book in 1 Corinthians, he looks at the body and he looks at the Corinthians just abusing their bodies because they said, well we've got salvation so our souls will go to heaven but our bodies we can do with what we want. But then my argument is, and as Paul says, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So you have to Honor and cherish your body because that is where the Holy Spirit lives. So I'm just going to get to 1 Corinthians 15 again. So Jesus is born of a virgin, he's born of Mary. She even says, Blessed is she that she could bear the Messiah. Jesus has a ministry by the age of 12, as we know, he's already in the temples teaching. His parents look for him, they get quite angry with him, and Jesus says, Well, I'm already about my father's business. I wish I was about the father's business when I was 12. But as you found out more recently, about two weeks ago, I was not. Praise the Lord. That doesn't matter. What matters is salvation right now. And so Jesus enters his ministry, goes by obedience to to be baptized in the river Jordan. And what happens is the Holy Spirit descends on him like that. And they testify and God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So if we look at this gospel of Jesus, the gospel that saves, this glorious message, Jesus has to have a ministry. He starts preaching the news of the kingdom. And the first words that Jesus says when he comes out of the desert, after his temptation, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now for us to understand that repentance is extremely important when it comes to our our hearts and our lives with Jesus Christ. Um, I still have things that are brought up that I might have done in the past that the Lord either wants me to go directly to that person and ask them for forgiveness for, or simply the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus has given me and I ask for forgiveness of those things. And the problem with Jesus coming and, and the, the beauty of Him coming is that we have to understand that we are actually the problem. Now, I know this isn't a message we would like to hear, um, but we have to understand that because Adam and Eve rebelled against God, because they fell in the garden, Each and every one of us in this room has been born with a sinful nature. And if you disagree with me, I'll start challenging you with a sermon on the mount. Jesus is on the sermon on the mount, preaching a sermon, and he says, if if you have in your heart thoughts of um, sexual uh, relations or whatever with a person, then you have committed adultery already before even committing the act. Um, Or what about someone that is driven in front of you as uh, we have rogue drivers all over the place today I'm sure not, of, not many of us have thought you know what, I'm actually going to go buy that guy uh, chocolate and just say thanks for driving in front of me <laughs> we have thought other things and it's just simply the thought process that gets us and how we understand these things 
That is exactly the sinful nature. So if you look at the Ten Commandments, um, we have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, minds and strength. Now, how many of us have done that before we came to the knowledge of God? None of us. Therefore, that is tainted. We are tainted with rebelling against God. And in Romans 3, chapter 10, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, rather, we can see that the Bible says there is no one righteous. No, not one. And that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in 3.23. And that's really, really important to know because if we do not believe in that sin, then Jesus died for nothing. Then God put Jesus on the cross for nothing. So I want us to understand that because that's really, really important. When we look at 1 Corinthians 15, we look at the gospel message, we look at everything coming together so intricately in this passage. I know that by the end of this you will understand it and you will rejoice and you will say, jean thank you for preaching that ugly message in the beginning because I needed to know. And sin is ugly. Sin separates us from God. Why did God have to send Jesus and why? Before the foundations of the world, before you and I even thought, or were even a thought, God had already put it in His plan to send Jesus Christ to be our Saviour. And if you, don't, if you don't think that's mercy and that's grace and that's love, then I don't know what is. Because ultimately a holy God cannot be around sin. And that's why Adam and Eve were found in their nakedness and they were cast out from the garden. Because they were now, back to the beginning, they knew knowledge. They had knowledge now of good and evil. Remember, the evil is the problem. The good is, the good is great. God is amazing. Jesus Christ is amazing. The Holy Spirit guides us. That's all good. But we didn't only know that. We came to know that the evil is the problem. And so that's why Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53, the passage, unfortunately, that is kept from so many Jewish believers in their own um, rabbinical sides, in their own studies, that they do not know, they do not have Isaiah 53 in their passages. Yet, if we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, if we look at all those things, He is in that passage. The Lord Jesus is there. The, the scriptures we use over Easter and over Christmas, and He was bruised for iniquities, and all those things. That passage, there's proof of that passage. And I saw a video the other day where a guy was walking in Jerusalem with his own Bible, and with, with the Torah, with all the other ones, but he had Isaiah 53. And he said to people, look at this. What is this? Who do you think they're talking about? And the problem, the thing is, is that after the tribulation is poured out on this earth, Jesus comes back down to earth and he puts his feet on the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says that, he, that Israel will mourn for him as if they've mourned that they've lost the son. That's how hard they'll mourn. Why? Because they'll see Jesus' wounds from the crucifixion and they'll know that they missed their Messiah. They missed the Lord Jesus Christ. But for us here that are sitting here right now today that have either been a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, how many of us might have given our lives to the Lord 20-30 years ago yet have fallen away for some reason? I, I, I implore you to please Listen as much as what you can. Even to those of us that are born again by the Spirit of God, that have got a new spirit in us. You will rejoice in this message because you know that you've been saved out of something that was leading you to destruction. And those two that might be here today that have been brought by someone or have come by themselves and do not know the Lord, I pray that you, you have open hearts and minds to understand this gospel message. So Paul's writing to the Corinthian church now we must understand that he's written 1 to 14 chapters as we know it before chapter 15. He covers things like factions within the church. I follow Peter. I follow Apollos. You know, that, that was going on in verse 1 and 2. Um, chapters 1 and 2 rather. And there were schisms being formed. There was a gentleman there that slept with his father's wife. 
um, they were the, they were using the Israelites as an example. Paul was using them as an example to show that they mustn't harden their hearts as the Israelites did in the wilderness. And we get to chapters 12, 13 and 14, which you all know is the gifted passages. The gifts, the body, how the body works together. And verse in chapter 13 we look at love, and all of us love that passage. And there's no pun intended there, but it's a great passage, passage to go through. And then chapter 14 again looks at the gifts. But the most important thing we look at is chapter 15. And I want us to take note of how Paul starts this. He started simply with a word in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. He says, moreover. Now you might be looking at me thinking, well that's great, that's a nice word, what is the importance? But what I want to, us to understand is that everything that Paul has covered with his church, he's saying there's something great and this is what has happened. This is why chapters 1 to 14 are possible because of moreover. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. So this means that they've already received the gospel numerous of times as Paul was commissioned by the Lord. We'll see that in a second. But he's declaring it again. He's proclaiming it. He's telling it. And unlike today's mass healing conferences where um, you go to a place and someone says, I declare that you be healed. And then you walk away and you're not healed. And the guy's like, well, you didn't have enough faith. And I've been to many of these things not intentionally just going from invitations to people inviting me to church and going with them and it gets a bit bad when people think you're almost like a puppet on a string. So they pray for me. Obviously, if you weren't here two weeks ago, I've had a spinal cord injury. Um, praise the Lord, I'm on my feet today. I was declared a quadriplegic, but by the grace of God, um, He has me where I am today. But when someone comes to pray for me, now I don't all of a sudden run around, now I don't have the faith. But this body is a testimony to others that Jesus Christ is real. So I don't mind if I have this body until I go to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, because I know they'll be running around and you'll all be wishing I wasn't running around. <laughs> but this is a testimony to the greatness of God. And so when Paul's declaring something, I believe by the Scriptures, and the Scriptures testify to that, we only declare the Gospel message. We don't declare things out of our own will, because we, as I said earlier, are sinners, we do not understand Yes, the grace of God has taken us away, our sin away, as far as the east is from the west. 100% the, the death on the cross of Jesus Christ has taken our sin away. But we still fall into thoughts uh, that are not godly. We still do things that are not godly. And if I even speak for myself, and I'm the only one that has that, that's perfect. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I think it is, Paul says to the Corinthian church again, I encourage you to take every thought captive. Everything that enters the mind that is not godly, get rid of it. Because so we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit to live a godly life. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you. The word gospel is evangelion, which is good news. We've all heard that the gospel is the good news. And I do agree, it is the, the greatest news. <coughs> Talking about the, the, the kids' message earlier, I was thinking about us on our birthdays, or when we celebrate the Lord's birth, Whatever the case may be, I've never seen any one of us get a gift and reject the gift. We've never ever said, no, that's, is, that a, is that a billabong shirt? No, no thanks, I don't feel like having a shirt. We take that gift. We take that presence on board. Yet when it comes to the Gospel, we think we must now sit and mull over the Gospel for 40 days, 50 days, 5 years, however long, but it's a gift. It's a free gift. God the Father, before the foundations of the world, knew that He was going to send Jesus Christ to die all of us that are sitting here today. 
and to those that are gathered everywhere, preaching directly from the Bible, not in let not get stuck into that. We'll get into that another time. So now he's saying to the Corinthians, which you also receive and wherein you stand. So in other words, he preached the gospel to them. They received it. They acknowledged that they need a Savior. They have taken on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they now stand in it. And I can just picture um, someone just in your mind, just standing up here preaching the gospel. I stand in it. I stand in the gospel. I have received it. I understand it. And it actually took me a long time after my accident to understand the gospel. Because the gospel message is, is a... It's not a difficult message to understand, but if you haven't been taught it properly, it is. The simplicity is that you and I are sinners and we need a Savior. Right, Hilton? I agree. Verse 2. By which also you are saved. So he's saying to the Corinthian church, you are saved because you received the gospel and you're standing in the gospel. And he's obviously thinking in his mind, why do I have to preach this message again 13, 14 times? Because that guy is sleeping around. This one is having communion with... Uh, the wealthy people, the poor people must consider at the end of the table, they're not allowed communion. This is what was happening within the church, and I pray that it doesn't happen here, I don't think it does, but we have to understand that this is what causes divisions in the body. And what's also nice, it's just come to me now, is that verses, chapters 14 and 12, are there for a reason, so that it comes to this passage, and tells us not to cause those divisions. If we know the gospel, if we stand in the gospel, we'll love each other. We'll pray for each other, we'll lift each other up. He says, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. So verse 2 again, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Now the word meditate in today's context, we picture a guy sitting down and trying to reach enlightenment. Correct? We have this picture of people wanting to try and get themselves to God. Remember two weeks ago I also mentioned that every other worldview says that your good deeds must outweigh your bad deeds. The gospel is completely different and opposite to that. The gospel message is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We'll get there now. But in, the, in 1 Corinthians 1.18 Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved it is the power of God. It is such a powerful scripture because it goes on to talk about the Jews seeking a sign, um, the Gentiles wanting to be these great orators, these great speakers, and they're not understanding the simplicity of the gospel. So, by which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. So, getting back to the meditation comment. Meditation in the Old Testament means to mutter, or to have it on your tongue, or have it on your lips. So, when we look at the message... Um, how many times are we sitting at home or in an office meeting or, or wherever the case may be and the scripture just pops up? You're meditating on the word. You're understanding the word. You're not sitting there in some catatonic state thinking about where you're going to be next. You're just reading your Bible. You're spending time in the word and so the Lord brings that through His Holy Spirit onto our mouths. And that's what it means to have it on your mind. To have it, to have your understanding of it. Not just to sit, as I say, as all these other people may do. Unless you have believed in vain. So Paul's saying, look, if you're going to carry on this, and I'm going to start wondering about the gospel that I preached, because you're believing in vain. Your actions are different to what the Holy Spirit would do in us. And what we have to understand with the gospel message is that when Jesus died, he raised how many days after he died? Three days. And was on earth how many days after that? Forty. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out at fifty. So in order for Jesus to die, in order for us 
to receive the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had to be ascended, resurrected. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching a message. Uh, the first Christian martyr is preaching a message to uh, the Jewish believers and he was preaching such a hard message. 50 times harder than what I'm telling you now about the sin. And they were so angry with him, they were sort of gnashing their teeth at him. Now, have you ever been that angry? I hope not. But they were gnashing their teeth at him where they stoned him. And when they stoned Stephen, what happened? He looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's the most amazing thing. So, where would he get the concept from that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father? Because he knows he resurrected. Because the Holy Spirit was poured out. And that's important for us to remember. When someone gives their life to the Lord, the, the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit has to take place. Otherwise, there cannot be salvation. Because we won't be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We won't be taught by the Holy Spirit. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Now, as we know, Paul shares his testimony in the book of Acts many times. He comes before Felix. He comes before these governors. And what does he do straight away? Before anything happens, before they ask him questions, he says, may I speak? And then he shares his testimony. And I think that's really, really important. And we've forgotten that today in Christianity. Um, I go to different barbers that are obviously all, most of them are Muslim barbers. And... I go for obvious reasons, to go and share the gospel and to try and um, convince religion versus relationship. And many times I just sit in, there's either the music's too loud or the guy just doesn't want to hear, you can feel that this spiritual warfare is quite hectic. But what Kenny reminded me the one day, she just said, remember when there's a moment that you can't preach the gospel, share your testimony. Share your testimony and just share what the Lord has done in your life and through that hopefully we can start planting seeds. And that's really important for all of us. Never forget the day that the Lord Jesus saved you. Never forget that day. Because for me, it was the most precious day of my life. When I realized who Jesus Christ was, everything else to me seemed futile. It seemed ridiculous. It seemed there was like uh, Solomon says, everything is meaningless. That's really what it seemed like. So Paul's on the way to Damascus. I know you've heard this story a hundred times, but you can never hear it as enough. Paul was there. Actually, when Stephen was martyred, who, whose feet did he fall at? He fell at Paul. Paul's feet. Saul of Tarsus. So Saul now gets letters from the Sanhedrin, and now he wants to go and persecute Christians. So he's starting to go and drag people out of their houses. He wants to beat them and put them in prison. But on the way to Damascus, his life too takes a dramatic turn. And what happens to Paul is that he falls off of the horse or whatever chariot they're on, and he's blinded and he cannot see. And what I find amazing about the text is that he's, the Lord Jesus says to Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he immediately replies, Lord, Lord. Have you ever thought of that? He's asking, he knows exactly who he's speaking to. And I find that the most amazing thing. He's blinded, he goes, he receives, and this is the passage here. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. In other words, on the way to Damascus, when he was going to persecute Christians, he received the gospel message. He received his mandate to go and preach the gospel. Now we know sitting here today that Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20 gives us a mandate known as the Great Commission. But Paul then had no clue what he was doing. And then he received this gospel message. I think that's the most amazing grace, if I may just say, because Paul then, if, if it wasn't for Paul and the apostles that he had with him, Barnabas and the list goes on, we would not have the gospel message today. Because they fought 
for the message of Jesus Christ. And here is the gospel message. It's so simple. It's three quarters through your word, through the Bible, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. If anyone ever comes to you and says, please explain the gospel to me, that's as simple as it gets. Now you will have some resistance, because I saw some resistance earlier when I said you folks were sinners. Just kidding, we are all sinners. I'm also a sinner. Um, But that's the reason why the Lord had to come. Because as we'll find out later in the passage, if Christ did not die, if Christ did not rise again, our faith is futile. We're gathering for nothing. Ross is just singing nice songs. Hilton's flicking a keyboard. It's useless. But I know within my heart, and I pray that all of us know within our hearts that Jesus Christ has done the work in us. And it's a heart issue. In the book of Jeremiah, you see Jeremiah writing, and he says, The heart is desperately wicked above all things. Now, I know we've, we've grazed over that scripture because um, before I was saved, I must be honest with you, I knew I was doing silly things. Not going to give you too much information. But I never, th- I never knew what sin was, I never knew the concept of sin. Yet, my question to everyone is, is how on your hearts do you know what right and wrong is? How do we know that? How do we know, without the Holy Spirit indwelling a non-believer, that if I had to go and commit a crime against that person, he would find it unjust? Yet us within Christianity do not understand the basics and the foundations of the Gospel. And even though we are sinners, the most amazing thing is that the message has been given to us. We have been, we've either heard it, we've given our lives to it, and I pray that we grow by it daily. Verse 4, And that he was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So we go back to where I was talking about Jesus in the temple. He's teaching, his parents come and look for him, they're upset with him, and he just carries on about the Father's business. We don't have anything again until Jesus walks, bear this in mind, 75 to 80 kilometers to go and get baptized. That's like walking from here to... How far is Posh? Is it? Pretoria is 80 Pretoria, okay. So walking to Pretoria, getting that call in your life by the Lord, um, being obedient, which is really important, and He walks that distance to go and get baptized. I just find that truly amazing because many times today we have people within the body that don't even want to get baptized, whereas I say, well, look what the Lord Jesus did. Look how important it was. That the Lord would identify with us as sinners. Remember, He was sinless, but the baptism was to identify with you and I that we would be buried in the water, immersed in the water, and come up sinless, a new being, a new creation, a new creature, because of the work that Jesus did. It's just a picture, it's a symbolism of baptism. He was then buried. Jesus then obviously went into His ministry. He preached the Gospel. He um, discipled those 12 disciples, he really walked with those disciples and he taught them. There were only 12 of them. And in the upper room, there were only 120 people in the upper room in Acts when they were waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Only 120 people. People tend to think that Jesus would have transformed the whole world. But remember, Jesus said, you will go and do greater things than I will. And that's not in the miracle sense that all the healing conferences and things today. That's that the gospel will go up to all the nations so that lives could be saved. We tend to think in our, in, our, in our worldly understanding that everything's about now. And yes, the gospel is about now. We preach it about now. But everything's about eternal life. Everything's about being with the Father in heaven one day. And that's the reason why Jesus had to come. That's the reason why He was buried. He was buried because 
He had illegal trials brought against him. Remember, um, Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. And when he was, Jesus was in Gethsemane praying, they got there, they came to arrest him. And Jesus, in the scriptures, we were looking at it this week, when, do you remember when they confronted him and Jesus spoke to them and they fell over? Do you remember that? Jesus in the scriptures said, I am. They said, who are you looking for? And Jesus said, I am. And by that powerful proclamation, they all were taken aback and fell over by the power of the words of Jesus. Jesus was taken to the cross. He was flogged. He was beaten. As you know, I'm sure you've seen the story. Um, you've watched probably a few movies that cover the crucifixion. You can take the movies that we've seen and multiply it by a thousand easily because, in, for example, um, the Passion of the Christ, Jesus, he is still recognizable. Do you notice at the end that he's still recognizable? You can still see who he is. The Bible says that Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. You would never have known who he was because that's how severe the flogging was. And that's why it's so important that we understand that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And the rising, as we'll find out in the text in the week to come, the rising is the most important. We tend to focus on the other things of Jesus Christ, but if he's not risen, we will never be risen. We're still in our sins and we've got no clue what's going on. And so when we look back at Genesis 3, we look back at the Gospel message, we look at where it started at Genesis 3.15, where the Lord says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. That Jesus Christ would come. Throughout the scriptures we can see it, that God himself would send Jesus in his own body, in his own capacity, as God, to come and die for our sins. This passage makes so much more sense. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and where you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Amen to that. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, Hilton did read from verses 1 to 11. The next time we come together, we'll cover verses 5 to 11. But I want us to understand, brothers and sisters, that once the Spirit of God has touched our lives, once we understand that Jesus is King, that He is God, and that by the prophecies in Scripture in the Old Testament that He is coming back soon, we'll understand that the, the Gospel message is not a message whereby we sit back and are passive about it. I really have a, 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 an urging in my heart for people to understand that the gospel message has to go out today. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And that's really, really important because if we wait around, I, in my heart, am broken for the people that are dying daily that do not know Jesus Christ. And so I encourage us to go and to understand that this is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And if there's anyone here today that has maybe heard the gospel properly for the first time. If there's anyone here today that has been a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, if there's anyone here today that simply does not know and understands it now, and I pray by the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we all understand that message on our hearts, what Jesus gave us, what Jesus came to do, that we pray, that we earnestly consider what the Lord has done for us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Gospel. Father, we thank you that through this message, lives can get saved. 
Lord, thank you that you've brought us all out of the miry clay and set our feet upon a rock if we have, if we have declared that you are our Lord and Saviour. Lord, there are many other worldviews today. There are many schemes and wiles of the evil one. But let me encourage each and every one of us today that the gospel message is the only truth message. I, for one, in my stubbornness, would not be standing up here if that message was not true. I know, for I know, for I know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And folks, if you've ever placed your trust in someone that is, is worldly and in the world and lives here, and just trust what I'm saying to you. Believe me when I say to you that this is real. And that just as my, my good friend lost his life this week, I just pray that we understand that it could happen anytime. We could walk out this door right now and something could change, our lives could change. So Lord, as everyone just keeps their eyes closed, I do not know where any of us are in our walks here today, but I just pray if you have been a prodigal son or daughter, or if you do not understand the gospel, if you've never received the gospel, and the Holy Spirit is talking to you now to understand that Jesus Christ died for your sins, just raise your hand. That's all you have to do is raise your hand. We'll say a prayer together. If you have not received the gospel today, I pray that you raise your hand. Raise your hand to understand that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He is coming soon, that He'll come again, He'll take His church with Him to heaven. He'll take His church to be with Him for seven years while He pours out great wrath on this earth for an unbelieving and unjust world. He is righteous, brothers and sisters. Believe me when I say He is righteous. Anyone else? Put your hand up. God bless you. Bless you. Now just pray that as we pray now together, those that have put their hands up, keep your hand up. Everyone else, please keep their eyes closed. Just so we can make our brothers and sisters feel comfortable. If you haven't received the Lord God as your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior today, if you've possibly been, been caught in tradition, You've been brought up in the church. It doesn't make you um, a believer in Jesus Christ if you've been born up in the church as much as it makes you being a hamburger being born in McDonald's. So I pray that we remember that. That we have to have a personal and saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why He came to die. So that He could know each and one of us intricately, which He does already, but so that we can know what He has revealed. So that we can be close to the Father again, adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So if you put your hand up, please just say this prayer. Lord God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the gospel message. Lord, I pray that you just forgive me of my sin. Lord, I am a sinner and I fall way short of your standards, as the word says. Lord, I pray that you strengthen me in a repentant heart for not acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord and I now come to repentance. Just continue to say that in your heart that Lord Jesus Christ, you are Saviour, you are Lord, and that you'll be coming back soon. Forgive me, Lord, as I come into a relationship with you. And I ask that you take me to eternity with you, Lord. Sanctify me and keep me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.